Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, I suppose the season of talking about love in our culture with uh, Valentine's Day right around the corner. Uh, Guys, if that's a shock to you, you have a week, so get it together. Uh, Valentine's things fill the seasonal shelves at our stores and have since nearly Thanksgiving for some reason. Uh, And uh, all of the plush hearts and chocolate hearts and bedazzled hearts and those little crushed chalk things that nobody quite knows what the flavor of them really is, but some people really like them and some people really hate them and the sayings on them are really weird. Those things, all of these things on our shelves, uh, letting us know that it is this season of talking about love, which just as a side note, uh, after Valentine's Day is over, actually probably the rate stores are going now. I haven't been in a Target in the last uh, couple of days, but they probably have St. Patrick's stuff out already. Uh, But there'll be like a little blip here of leprechauns. And then the next season will be Easter. And we, uh, as a culture, fill our seasonal shelves with Easter stuff. And yet, even with all the Easter celebrating we do, we still think that this is the season that's actually about love. Which leads me to believe we may have missed something about what love actually looks like. So let's talk about love a little bit this morning. What does love really look like? What does real love look like? And if there is such a thing as real love, then there is such a thing as fake love. What does is, what is fake love look like? Uh, I think when I say that term, we, we may never talk about it in that, in that language, talking about fake love, but I think we have a general idea of what that would would feel like, what that does feel like. We can think of instances of what we might call fake love. Uh, The first date that's far more about posturing than being real with somebody. The uh, businessman or or salesperson, no no offense to anybody in the room or otherwise, but who, who will tell you how amazing you are and just how fabulous you are, how great you look in that outfit, just to make sure they get the deal or the purchase or the contract. Fake love. The, uh, the lady or gentleman in the bar saying all the right things with a very short-term pleasure goal in mind. Or maybe it's the person who tells you to your face that you're forgiven, but then behind your back tells everybody how awful you are. We have some idea of what it feels like to receive fake love, I would say most of us, if not all of us, also have some idea of what it feels like to give fake love. Maybe it's uh, saying the right words to make somebody feel better, whether we believe them or not. Or telling somebody, this is probably the most famous church one, telling somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you. Or uh, telling somebody that you, know, you run into in, in Walmart um, and, and you haven't seen them for a couple months or a couple years, you go, oh, we need to get together and do coffee. And whether it's prayer or coffee, you don't actually have any intention of doing so, but we say the, we say the right thing. 
The truth is, even if you say that, that you tell somebody you'll pray for them or that you should get together for coffee and you really do mean it, you really do plan to follow through. If you don't follow through, it still ends up feeling like fake love to them. In the first century, uh, an author and preacher named Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And his letter was to the Roman church as the church was struggling to figure out how to love and care for one another. They were struggling to get along, struggling to overcome division and overcome rules they just couldn't agree on whether they should follow them or not. So glad that humans don't do that anymore. He starts this letter by reminding them that they are all in this together. That that they belong to Jesus together, that as part of the church, they've given themselves over to Jesus. He, He says, you so belong to Jesus that you are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, as those who belong to Jesus together, you belong to one another. And so he warns them against settling for this fake love of niceties. And so we'll pick up his letter there in what's now Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Now, a number of other translations of the Bible say something like, let your love be sincere. Let your love be genuine. And that's a great translation. I love the way the New Living Translation puts this. There's another verse a little later. I don't like it all, but I like this part. I, love, I just love this wording. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Okay, Paul, we're supposed to really love people. Got it. What does that mean? Like, what does it actually look like to really love people? Like, could I just get a list of all the things to kind of check? What does it mean to really love people? Can you just list it out for me? And I know that's a super male response. Like, can I just get a list of things and I'll check it off? That'd be great. And Paul goes, sure, absolutely. It's a little hard to tell in our English translations because we split things into paragraphs. But this really reads as if that phrase I just said is the heading of a list. And then everything for the next four and a half verses is bullet points under that heading. So the heading of our list here is don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And then we just start with some bullet points. We'll read the first couple. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now there's more and we'll get to it, but this probably is heavy enough. (laughs) Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In our postmodern thinking, in our modern day and age and how we view the world and how we view love, we can't imagine starting a list called how do we really love people with the word 
hate. And yet that's how Paul starts his list. Hate the evil. To love each other with a genuine depth, we're going to have to hate the evil that hurts those we love and that we are supposed to love. If we're gonna love the poor, that's gonna mean that we have to uh, hate the things that create poverty, greed, selfishness, labels. If we are going to love the millions of adults and children who are in slavery in the world today, including in the US, there are more people in slavery in 2022 than any other time in human history. And if we are going to love those people to the depth that we should and are called to, we're gonna have to hate the things that lead to their slavery. We're gonna have to truly hate trafficking and lust and objectification and the products and the money made on the backs and hands and creativity of slaves. That's gonna be included in really loving. If we're going to really love the men and women who are caught in the shame loop of pornography, we're going to have to hate lust and objectification and trafficking and the things that lead to our shame and the things that those industries lead to. Hating evil drives love deeper. Hating evil takes what may be a shallow love and drives it deeper. I think a good definition of really loving somebody is meeting their deepest need that you are aware of. The deepest need you know of in their life. And if we're going to love to that kind of depth, love to their greatest need, it's going to involve hating the evil that drags them down and burdens them, captures and breaks them. Hating the evil that works against those we are to love is going to be part of loving them in a very real way. I was also struck in these first couple of bullet points by an important distinction that Paul draws here. And I think it's going to feel real obvious to us, but I, I wanna point it out anyway. He refers to good and evil as a what. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Other translations say, hate the evil, cling to the good. And then he shifts gears. In verse 10, the language changes from things to people, from what to who. And I mean, of course it does, but again, it's worth saying, people are not defined as good or evil. People are not defined as good or evil. And even though we know this, and this is one of those things in our culture that is a remnant of a Jesus ethic. 
This is an area of Christianity that the world would agree with us on. People are not defined as good or evil. Our, our American society would say, yes, absolutely. And yet, both inside and outside the church, our language and our beliefs contradicts this understanding. We treat others as the enemy. The rhetoric of powerful people makes sure that we understand there is an us and a them. There is a good guy and a bad guy. And we take the places where we're sure they're wrong. They're sins that we would never do. The places where we disagree with them, their evil actions, and we use all those things to define them and to put them in a category of good and evil. And we typically define that category based on what we agree with or disagree with. If I agree with you, awesome, you're in the good guy category. If I disagree, you're in the evil people category. Next week, we will talk about people labeled evil and what we're supposed to do to them. Uh, Paul gives us some interesting ideas. But Paul himself does not label people this way. He shifts from talking about the good and the, the evil to talking about each other, loving each other. Specifically, he's writing to a church about loving other Jesus people. He says we're to love genuinely, no faking, no pretending for the sake of being nice. And he says we should delight in honoring one another. Other versions say we should outdo ourselves in honoring one another. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to or when the last time might be where you had to honor somebody that you didn't like or radically disagreed with. It's hard. It's hard. Far easier, for me at least, <laughs> to get bitter and frustrated. He says, take delight in honoring each other. Not because you agree with them, not because you can fit them in a good guy category, but because they are a child of God who deserves to be loved and valued and honored as such. That's it. And then Paul continues, and this is the verse that I don't like this translation as, as much. Verse 11 says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. A closer definition or a closer translation to the original language would be don't let your zeal subside. Don't let your zeal go away. And let the spirit of God boil in you, burn in you, and let that fuel you, because that's what fire does, right? It fuels things. Let that fuel you to serving the Lord enthusiastically. So don't let your zeal subside. Don't let your passion for God go away, but let the spirit boil and burn in you, the spirit of God to drive you to serving the Lord. Not all of us 
are passionate and emotional people. And I'm pretty sure Paul, even though he is a passionate and emotional person, I'm pretty sure Paul is very aware of this. And I don't think that's what he means here is that everybody should be passionate and emotional in, the, in some of the ways that we think of that in, in exuberance. <laughs> I do think he means don't coast. Don't put it in neutral. Don't settle into a comfort zone because the truth is real love costs. Real love costs. And if you take a moment, let's just take a moment, to think of somebody who has really loved you. You can think of what it cost them to do so. Maybe it's time, energy, finances, putting aside their own ambitions to focus on you. To really love somebody is going to have a cost to it. Energy, comfort. To really love somebody is to give of yourself, to give of ourselves. To really love God and others is to give of ourselves, our resources, our gifts, our time and energy to God and to others in order to love them. And if we ever enter into a relationship with another person, however temporary, <laughs> how, how, you know, a, a waitress, a police officer, stranger on the street, if we ever enter into a relationship with another person or with God, going, okay, I'm gonna step into this, but I'm gonna make sure it doesn't cost me anything, we will not actually love them. We just won't. We may do something nice for them, but we won't really love. And Paul's list just keeps going. Next bullet point. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When we think about real love, I mean, our culture talks about love. This season that we're in is full of uh, flowery words and fuzzy feelings. But when we think of really loving somebody, it's often, almost always, very very tangible in some way. It is sitting with someone who feels lonely. It's giving food to the hungry. It's giving uh, money to someone who may need it. It's giving a gift of some sort to someone just because we love them. Very tangible in some way. Again, real love is meeting the deepest need of the other person. And when we can meet that need, need in a very tangible way, we, we recognize that as real love. One of our deepest needs as human beings is the need for hope. It's the need for hope. And one of the ways that we can really love people is to give them the hope that we have in Jesus. In fact, I, I'd say that our hope drives love forward. 
If hating evil helps drive our love deeper into places where we are empathizing, easy for me to say, and, and sitting in that place of hurt with other people and recognizing that hurt in them and saying, I'm gonna love you in this space. Hope gives us that fuel to push our love forward. Hope helps our love to endure the hard things going on in life. Because walking with somebody in a very real way is going to mean loving them through some hard things. And hope reminds us that we can give of ourselves in order to love because this world is not our reward anyway. And our hope reminds us that we don't have to love in order to get somebody else's approval. We don't have to love in order to earn love from God or somebody else. Because as we sang about this morning, our God loves us. That's part of our hope. Our God loves us so much that it cost him everything. And he's willing to pay the cost. We can be settled and secure in that love. That's part of the hope we have in Jesus. And so we don't have to love others in order to gain their approval or their acceptance or some love in return. We don't have to gain anything from them. We can just love them to love them. It doesn't have to be a transaction. Our hope drives us forward into loving others simply because they should be loved. with no worry about what we get in return. The word that really struck me in this verse, though it stuck out to me as I was reading through the section, is the word patience. And maybe that stuck out to me because God knows I need some work in this area. But it also stuck out to me, I think because it struck me as being very different than the other words around it. Specifically, the verse before, talking about zeal and enthusiasm, for whatever reason, patience to me feels opposite of that. And I don't know why I have such a subdued view of patience, I guess, in my head, but when I think of people who are patient, I think of the person going, okay, let's just all calm down a little bit. Let's just, we can just stop freaking out. It doesn't have to happen yesterday. It will be okay. We can take some time. It'll be all right. And they're just kind of the calming presence that helps everybody take a breath and go, okay. And for whatever reason, that feels opposite of zeal and enthusiasm to me. And yet Paul says, this is all part of the package of what it means to really love people. And this verse 12 is two separate bullet points on Paul's list. Rejoice in the hope that we have and be patient and keep on praying. Now, this idea of be patient and keep on praying, I mean, you only tell somebody, be patient and keep on praying if things aren't going real hot, right? If things aren't going great. Because if everything's going great and the circumstances around you are going the way you want them to and everything's changing the way you want it to, uh, you don't need to have somebody say, hey, be, be patient. <laughs> It'll work out. Keep praying. Being patient implies that the things are not all going how we'd like. 
which means that our zeal and our enthusiasm are not just based on, look how great everything's going. I mean, I love it when we can share testimonies about the good work that God is doing, and that does add to our hope, and it does create some zeal and enthusiasm. And so if you have a word, testimony, a story of the good that God is doing, please don't hesitate to share that. Sometimes we do the like, well, people are going to think that I'm talking about myself. No, you're not. You're talking about the good stuff that God is doing. And last week at our lunch after our annual meeting, people shared some testimonies of the good things that God is doing. Those things are encouraging, and they do create a drive. The Spirit burns in us a little brighter and drives us to serving the Lord with some enthusiasm and some zeal. But our zeal is not based just on look how great everything is going. Paul says it's all part of the same package. Be patient and keep on praying. Look, part of what I love about what I get to do is I love the light bulb moments for people where they realize something about God or themselves in in a new way. I love watching lives be changed and grace winning in people's lives, but sometimes those things take time. They're not always super fast. And when the people around us, when the people in your life are going through a hard thing and it's not changing as quickly as you would like, when the people that we love are making wrong choices and they're not changing and maturing as quickly as we would like them to, it starts to feel defeating. And and Paul says, be patient and keep on praying. I know this isn't going the way you want it to. I know that this season of your life is lasting longer than you wanted it to. This season that you all are in is taking longer than you wanted it to. And in 2022, we say, amen. He goes, I know that the people that you love are are pushing back against you and that's not changing in the way that you want it to. Culture isn't changing in the way you want it to. Be patient and keep on praying. Remember that we have hope. Remember that real love takes time. Real love takes time. Love will endure through some hard things. And endurance will demonstrate our love to others. That as we endure through things with people, as we walk through hard things with them, it demonstrates a very real love. I know a lot of us, and I will put myself in this category, love the the rush of the kind of short-term drop-in, showing big love in a big way, in a needy moment. We love that. Somebody says they're in need of something. Somebody's feeling lonely that day and we can you know, drop in and give them flowers and balloons and tell them how amazing they are and love them in a big way. Somebody's grieving and we step into their moment of need and, and we, we love to love in a big way. And that's great. I'm, I'm not uh, demeaning any of that. That should all be true of us. 
But as uh, Paul writes to a different church in a different letter, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Not just for the short term, but also in lasting relationships. Love bears and believes and hopes and endures. Real love takes time. And then Paul concludes his list this way, verse 13. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Real love means that we're ready to meet the needs of those around us as needs arise. As they ask for help, we're ready to step in and meet them. We're ready to go. Real love is ready for action. Ready when the time to step in is there. But this isn't just a passive readiness. Uh, Nerdy Greek moment for just a second, if we haven't had enough of those already today. Uh, We're going to talk about verse 14 next week. Um, It says, bless those who persecute you. And we'll dive into all of that next week. But that word for persecute in verse 14 and the word for practice in practice hospitality are the exact same word. The word means to pursue. So in context, when somebody is pursuing you, is coming at you, coming after you, bless those who pursue to hurt you. But before he even gets to that, pursue real love for those around you. Go after it. Pursue the opportunities to make the people in your life feel seen, feel loved, feel safe. Love the people that you belong to enough to seek out meeting their needs and making them feel loved. Pursue. Be ready for action. So uh, let's take this into our week together. God has given you a place where you live. A place with people. People that Jesus really, really loves. Last week, we talked about how God has gifted you in certain ways, some more than others, in different forms. Maybe with the ability to speak the truth when it's needed, to serve when nobody else wants to, to lead or to teach, to encourage, to be kind. God has gifted you with the ability to love those around you, those in the communities to which you belong. So the question is, who and how is God calling you to love for real? Who is God calling you to love, the very real love? And how is he calling you to do that? In fact, let's take a couple of moments here to reflect on it. 
Who is God calling you to love for real? Who comes to mind? How is he calling you to do that? What could you do for them? Who and how is God calling you to love? A little deeper than maybe your comfort zone is. A little longer than maybe you would choose on your own. A little more like Jesus than maybe you have before. Who's God calling you to love? As we step into that together this week, let me pray for us as the worship team comes back up. Father God, I do thank you for your love for us and for the people around us. God, we know that you have put us in community with people that you really truly love. Father, would you point us toward those we are to love? Would your spirit burn in us with hope, with the desire to share your love? Would you help us to see? Would you and your spirit lead us to see the deepest needs of the people around us and how we might meet those needs in ways that seem significant or ways that seem trivial? that we would love. That we would love in some reflection of how you have loved us. We thank you for your love and for the opportunity to share it with each other and the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.